Welcome to yet another edition of the brand called You. Today I have an incredibly successful professional, someone who I have held in very, very high regard for a long period of time. Barun Mohanty, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Ashutosh. Thank you. Barun is uh, the former MD International of the Michael and Susan Dell Foundation. He spent many, many years with McKinsey before that. He's from IIT Delhi and he's an MBA from Canada. So, Barun, tell me a little bit about your early life and your early career. Sure. Um, I grew up here in Delhi and pretty much like a regular Delhi person. Mm -hmm. My parents were very focused on making sure that we worked hard and all of that happened. Mm -hmm. um, I think a couple of things that I remember from that time, which has sort of helped me in my career, mm -hmm was my father had a very open mind okay. and he encouraged me from my childhood to listen to others, absorb what I wanted and then do what I wanted, but to make the effort to listen first. And growing up in India, uh, and I realized this more as I've lived overseas, we tend to want to shout about above each other. And I kept that in mind. And I joined McKinsey in Toronto after doing my MBA at uh, UBC in Vancouver. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when I did that, and that was early, I was very naive and innocent. Uh, I'd grown up here very sheltered as uh, we were in those days, very average middle class mm -hmm. background. Mm -hmm. I just found initially I was totally intimidated by the extraordinarily smart people mm -hmm. who were there at the, at the firm. Mm -hmm. And I felt out of place. I thought they had made a mistake, uh, but I hung in there and I found that, you know, I could also learn from them. So I'll give you an example. Within, I think, my first week mm -hmm. of joining McKinsey in Toronto, um, you know, there was some uh, research to be done on a particular company mm -hmm. and they wrote me in and they had two or three other people doing it. And there was some problem that had to be solved. Mm -hmm. Grown up, growing up in India, I was, of course, quickly uh, done and dusted mm. within a couple of hours. I had an answer. I had a solution. I knew how to get the problem fixed. Meanwhile, my colleagues were like, oh, wow, you finished early. That must mm. be really good. But they said, we're not ready. And so these guys took another couple of days okay. to come back with some solutions I never thought were possible. Okay. And I learned. I mean, mm. that was one I've learned many times, you know. How do you actually look at a problem from a variety of different ways? So anyway, mm -hmm. so lots of learnings along those lines. So, you know, after so many years in consulting, uh, what made you shift to the social sector? I mean, it's, it's a big shift. It is. It is. Um, I think some of that goes back to sort of my roots and how I grew up. Um, I've always grown up. Uh, with a very clear idea that I want to do something for my country. I think that is something that has stayed with me. Mm. I think my mother in particular uh, embedded that in me. And till today, my ultimate loyalty lies to doing something for India. Mm. I had no idea what that meant when I was growing up. We were in the battle for you know, doing better than everybody else, competitive, all that stuff. Correct. And so, you know, I can give you lots of examples. So when I finished my MBA at UBC in Vancouver, I came back to India because I wanted to do something here. Mm -hmm. Circumstance in some ways uh, and my, uh, my, my marriage took me back to Canada. And so I started with McKinsey. 
But again, um, I was very keen, very quickly to bring McKinsey to India. And I was part of the team, very early team that actually set up McKinsey's offices in India. So there's always been that, Mm. let me try and find a way to do something. At a particular time when uh, when I joined the foundation, we were living in Portugal mm. also with McKinsey and we had a tragedy in our family and that got me thinking and, you know, it changed our lives in many, many ways. Mm. Um, and, and I kept looking then for, okay, so the next opportunity should be something where I can focus my mind okay. outside of this tragedy and okay. do something with it. And, you know, I was very fortunate that Michael Dell was looking for starting the Mm. foundation in India. I grabbed it Mm. and uh, ran with it. And you've done some amazing work. So let's talk about the Michael and Susan Dell Foundation. You know, tell me a little bit about the kind of work the foundation is doing here in India. When we started the foundation's work in India in around 2005, 2006, um, I had the privilege of actually being the employee number one. Correct. But I also had a bit of a baggage of not knowing absolutely anything about development. Mm. And I think therein lies a little bit of how the foundation got going. And I used a little bit of the management type principles Mm. that I had learned Mm. through my work at McKinsey. Mm -hmm. So things like if you do something, there has to be a result. Mm. I mean, this is stating the absolute obvious. But then how do you know what results Mm. you've had? And so I was fired by that for a lot. Mm. And my experience, and I talked to everybody. I mean, my entire start was about learning from others. And I was learning at a, I was drinking out of a fire hose. And, And I learned that if you measure something. So I think that has stayed with the foundation. So we said we'll help. Uh, children mm-hmm. living in urban poverty mm-hmm. uh, improve their life outcomes. Mm-hmm. And we interpreted that and Michael and uh, my my boss in, in Austin, Janet, who ran the entire foundation, was very clear that we want to help children, but in measurable ways. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to do it through education to make sure that they had livelihoods and jobs mm-hmm. and that there was financial security. So we pushed along all of those um, in India, mm-hmm. lots of experiments, lots of failures. Uh, but I think the foundation today, and I, as you mentioned, I just retired at the end of December last mm-hmm. year. Uh, the foundation is still very focused on that, sure. trying to help children at scale, Correct. improved quality of their outcomes, of their learning outcomes, mm-hmm. get them jobs and livelihoods and provide financial security for them. Amazing. And you're doing a lot of great work in education. Well, I think education has been the soul of the foundation. Mm -hmm. I think that is where uh, the founders, Michael and Susan, were uh, truly intrigued with Mm -hmm. how can we help children. Okay. And um, that has been the the mainstay of the foundation Mm -hmm. for a long time. Mm -hmm. In India, I think we we started by working with NGOs and and learned a lot and and worked with them to actually see what it takes to make a difference. Mm And I think today uh, the foundation in India and Geeta Goel who runs it so incredibly well is focused on the same values, which is how do you try to break the deep inequity that's in our society and try and provide a way in which children, no matter where they come from, have the opportunity of an outstanding education and you measure what happens along the way. 
So I'll tell you something that I think drives the foundation. And this is what I have always really believed in. That the gene of inequity is okay. Uh, runs deep in, I would say, all of us, all Indians. We've grown up blind to inequity that happens elsewhere. And ultimately, to change the outcomes of children who've grown up in poverty, you need to have a real strong focus on saying inequity is not okay. And we have to start them off equal in, in as much as you can. Easier said than done. Uh, even professionals like us, I think, you know, if we are truly fired by making that change, we say that when we're at work and sometimes we go back mm. and live in a world where you ultimately exploit the poor. So that understanding that, then you realize how hard it is to make these changes. And so we eventually realize that unless you can make it happen and focus on the success of large government systems, where large numbers of children actually demonstrate and prove that they are doing better, uh, it'll be very hard to make a change that sticks. So one thing is to make a change. The second thing is to make it at scale. The third is to then measure it and make sure that it's running well. And the fourth is how do you make that stick in a system where inequity is rife everywhere and the pressure on keeping poor kids learning well and doing well in life is very low mm -hmm. from the people who are running that system. I mean, that is the fundamental issue. And so I think the foundation's work today in education in particular tries to deal with that. I'll give you an example. Um, after a lot of effort and with the good good um, cooperation of the Haryana government, I think a lot of uh, progress has been made in learning outcomes of all children studying in school in Haryana. And, and our team, uh, the foundation team, has done an extraordinary piece of work. Yeah. There's been a lot of collaboration with others and so on. So last year, they did quite well. It was called Saksham Haryana and they did very, very well. And then the question arose, okay, so for the past three or four years, we made this happen. It mm. was done in campaign mode. The chief minister led it. There were a lot of mm. people who put serious effort into it. But what happens going forward? How? And this was a debate inside the foundation. And I was very much part of that saying, how do we make sure that this sticks mm. in the context of the India that I just described to Correct. you? If we go... Will things go back to what they were? There may be a bit of a hysteresis loop and some things will remain, but it may not, may not yeah. stay as hard. Yeah. And that's where I think talented people can come up with solutions on how do you make something stick? Mm -hmm. So the path that we discussed were um, maybe you can put in some scholarships and prizes based on academic performance mm -hmm. at junior levels in school such that you can create some excitement amongst the parents and the teachers and the children, of mm -hmm. course, even if it's a small token, a small prize, small scholarship, mm -hmm. whatever it is, but it's publicized in the neighborhood, in the villages, in the districts to say, this school had three children who got this prize. Mm -hmm. Immediately, it's, it puts the, the parents saying, hey, something good is going on mm -hmm. in my school. That's one dynamic. The other schools which didn't get it are talking about, oh, they got it. 
and then they're saying, why aren't we getting it? The teachers know and the principal and the district officials know that this is something that's happening. So you can, the point is to keep subliminal and sometimes subtle and sometimes extreme pressure on the system to deliver against it. And incentive really works. So, you know, that kind of problem solving, I think, is an essential part of making change in a system which has not been that confident or has been successful. Very interesting. So, you know, Barod, you mentioned that one of the things that you look for when you are investing in all the children is that it has to be measurable. Right. My question to you is, how do you define measurable? Is it more grades? Is it more number of children? Are there, is it more awards being given to in, in multiple schools? What is measurable? So, I think it's a very good question. And I think... The, so for me personally, um, I think the concept that you measure something, whatever be the measure, Correct. immediately has the effect I was talking about earlier, Absolutely. which is half the battle is won mm. when people know that there is some measurement going on. Mm. Let me step even further back. If I look at our society, um, it, accountability and taking responsibility for oneself is not the most shining example that comes to mind Correct. in India. Correct. Translucency, opaqueness is something that I think, sadly, many of our people have hidden behind. And I think the central question... so. Indians are really smart. Mm. There's a lot of smart people. There's a lot of really good qualified teachers out Correct. there, extraordinary uh, administrators. Yeah. So why isn't that all working? You can have lots of different uh, theories about it, but if you start to peel the onion there, and there's many layers mm. in the education system and many other systems, it's not that difficult to understand mm. that accountability. We, in, I think in some of our work with uh, different parts of the government, um, and also in the private sector, we were asking, so who's responsible for children's learning outcomes? Okay. Surely there must be somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's not a position that gets a lot of importance, but somebody. And there's nobody. Mm -hmm. There's nobody. There's people for distributing books. That, and it's not anybody's fault, but that's just how our society is. So I think I caught on pretty early. Mm -hmm. And I had these interesting discussions where... You know, I would ask, I think Sarvaseksha Abhyan was just starting up when I was, I had moved to India then in 2005. And I was in uh, secretary's offices mm -hmm. and various functionaries' offices, and they were all focused on, appropriately, I think, uh, on making sure that new schools were built and children were coming to school. And I was asking them, what about what happens in school? And what do the children learn? And how do you know? And where are the results? And they, in some people, got offended at the question. You know, it just wasn't not the main thing. And today, I think one of the things that we have helped contribute to is that people are asking more about, okay, so what happened? What is the outcome? What was the quality? So I haven't directly answered your no, question you, just yet. But I think the backdrop of this notion of measurement mm -hmm. is so important. Measurement, transparency, uh, and then the discussion of what it means, not blaming somebody, mm. but look at the, so what I've always said is it's not only okay to measure, but always look at the delta. Correct. What's happening? What's changing? Yeah. And how can we influence that? Correct. What is the effectiveness of that? Mm. Change? So I started with that. 
And then early on in some of our NGO work, uh, I was insistent that when we give money to an NGO for anything, for the best of worlds, we need a third party objective scientific assessment. I didn't know what it was. I had no idea. And there's a lot of debate. What is the right thing to measure? Can you measure this versus that? Should it be a randomized control trial? Should it be X, Y, and Z? And my and the foundation's philosophy was very much let the experts tell us mm. if we've used the wrong measure in the past, we'll change it. We're not tied to anything. Mm. We're tied to best practice that's available. Let's use it. Correct. But let's absolutely measure mm. how people are improving. Very so then we came to this situation where we were seen very quickly as the measurement people. Mm. And there are many examples within the government was looking for uh, NGO support in, say, in a place like Mumbai and various other places. Mm. And the only NGOs which had any data were the ones that we had funded, which was ironic because that's not what they imagined it would be. So there's lots of stories on measurement. But I think the fundamental thing is, if you do something, you've got to understand what the effect of that is. And in fact, our um, Nobel laureates Mm -hmm. from earlier this uh, last year have made that into the their main um, thesis. work, yeah. the, their thesis, that you've got to understand the effect of it. And Correct. they've taken it to a really high level. But that's what's driven us. Okay. So let's move on. You know, a lot of the investments that the foundation was making was in NGOs and startups. Yeah. As someone who has looked at multiple uh, NGO startups, my question to you is that what are some of the basic mistakes a lot of these entrepreneurs, if I can use that term a little of course, loosely, of course, make. So I'll give you the, the again, a bit of the background from which we came to these things. So we wanted to make change in children and youth's lives uh, and families' lives. And we said, we can't just follow one path. We've got, I mean, one of the, again, one of my personal tenets has always been, you have to get the best brains in the world absolutely um, who are also wise to do this type of work and and i found when i first came here and you know it wasn't a, an industry or a, or an area where the conditions were right to attract the best brains so then you know in addition to working with ngos and we were trying to break into government at that time into state governments and central government we said, what other levers are there? How can we get money and talent into this? And clearly, market-based market-based mechanisms make sense. So it was quite a revolutionary idea five, six years ago or seven, eight years ago when we actually pushed through. And our first uh, experience was with urban microfinance organizations, you know, General Lakshmi's and Ujjivans and so on. And when we funded them, they were at the nascent stage. Nobody knew if they would work. People mm. would say urban microfinance wouldn't work mm. because you needed a rural bonding and so on and so forth. And our approach was anything that can attract top talent mm. and also capital might have a good opportunity to, to, to work. So mm. the learnings that we got, so one of the things, one of the lenses we looked at from the foundation's perspective was, you know, is it actually benefiting the poor okay so that i mean microfinance was one thing it was much easier to actually understand that because it was a financial market financial markets are well understood 
but in education it's not so clear mm. results take a long time and very often parents schools teachers are taken in by the razzle and dazzle mm. of the solution that they are being provided so if your question is how did we figure out you know which ones to support i think we learned but one of our filters was demonstrate to us how it's helping the poor and what are the outcomes that you can measure you'd be surprised yeah. 90% got eliminated in that and then there were a few left and we went after the ones which were really good after that and you were able to then evaluate the ones that you funded yes that there was a demonstrable improvement absolutely in the that, that was the core currency to enter our office i mean we never uh, we never changed that hmm. we in the market based environment we also realized that the poor who are buying those services will only buy if they see the benefit correct so there was an additional uh, major which is the beauty of market based systems right we also realized later on though while that is true some of the underprivileged people do not always understand how to see the value mm. of something and so we had to play a middle role there to make sure that the outcomes okay. actually made sense so it wasn't just the new shiny object they mm. were paying for mm. it's a complex it's a complex area but it's sure. done remarkably for for uh, what um, what we've been able to accomplish yes. so varun after such an amazing career that you've had you know not just in india and overseas as you look back at life what have been some of your learnings from people who may have had an influence on your life i think um and i touched upon this at the beginning as well um i mean my parents have had a massive influence and that that is true for almost everybody in their own lives but i think in two specific ways which have stayed with me i mean my father i think uh, apart from all the other things about working hard you know looking after yourself in a in a way that uh, that was correct mm-hmm. uh left me with this thing about keep an open mind listen to others um and then make up your own mind but keep that open mind very open and shut up and listen mm-hmm. and you know growing up in this environment yes. that has made a difference and my mother was very passionate and driven about ambition and she was very ambitious even though she came from a poor background and i think that stayed mm. with me that i need to uh, stay ambitious but the third one is interesting um one of the people who helps lead the india office mm. for mckinsey tino puri um close friend and a, and has been a real good mentor to me mm. taught me tino is a very smart guy but taught me one very interesting thing which is no matter how complex a problem mm. simplify it look at it in a very simple way and all your confusion will go away and i'll give you an example when we were uh, i remember in the absolute early years of starting mckinsey in india we were doing a proposal for a very large um, bank in the country and none of us knew very much about banking and so on and i i, I remember one day i was asking tino to know this there's so many problems here he said but someone once told me um banking is very easy mm. borrow cheap and lend dear mm. and all your problems will go away and, and you know at one yeah. level that's a bit facetious yeah, but but i think the mm. message is right yeah, and right. i always try any time i'm debating something and i'm saying i don't really get it 
go back to the basics, go back to the fundamentals and then things become clear. Fantastic. So my last question to you and this question uh, I ask from every guest, it's, it's a question on failure. Um, you know, we all fail uh, as Indians, particularly, and I think Asians in general, we don't teach our children that it's okay to fail. And yet we fail all the time. So my question to you is, what have been some of your learnings from some of your mistakes or your failures? Absolutely. I mean, I'm all about failures and I have failed more often than I care to always admit even to myself. Mm -hmm. uh, on the topic of failure, very briefly, I remember again once at our, uh, during my McKinsey days, we had a session with one of the top economists of the world and he described the whole thing about failure and he said you know why do you think so much innovation comes and this was 20 years ago uh, from the silicon valley area and not from elsewhere anyway his point was pretty much the same that you know if you go farther east people are killing themselves if they fail europe it's sort of tolerated whereas in america you wear it as a badge of honor right I, that stuck with me and so um, i've always looked at failures as something uh, that you should take something away from and never repeat it, but celebrate it and talk about it. Easier said than done. But I, I mentioned to you earlier about this thing about, you know, my early instincts. And even today, I have to fight those of rushing in, solving a problem and saying, done, please, where is my 100% mark? Whereas a much wiser way to do it is to think about it from a 360 degrees. Correct. If you have one solution, put it away, but think about five others. So that's one. The other thing I remember, um, again, because I, McKinsey was sort of like an MBA for me. I remember doing a deck for my engagement manager in the Toronto office. I went and I showed it to him and we went through it. And then he said, okay, but work on a couple more things and come back with it. Mm -hmm. I went back to my office and then I remembered, oh, but there's a specific page in there I really need. So I went back to his room and I asked him for the deck back. And this guy, Greg, I remember him. He slightly sheepishly took it out of the waste paper bin. Mm. And, you know, that really shocked me. And I realized he thought my writing was so poor. Mm. One of the things I've learned from that was that we must be able to communicate better. Correct. And I used to be... So I was the double problem. Mm. I thought I communicated really well and wrote really well. And I and and I didn't understand the importance of do, actually doing it well. So I made it a point to focus on some of those types of things. I mean, there are many other lessons. Oh, that's from fantastic. Me. That's fantastic. So, Barun, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. And I know you've had an incredible innings. And I wish you lots of success and all the exciting things you're going to do now. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed being on your show. Thank you for listening to the Brand Called You podcast. Be sure to visit tbcy.in to join the conversation, access show notes and discover fantastic bonus content. You can follow us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Simply search for the Brand Called You. Thank you and see you next week.